Welcome to Perry's Leadership Couch. Either you're thinking of firing all your employees, locking yourself in the bathroom to scream in disbelief, or starting up your own business and have not slept in the last month, we have the stories from the people who are there or have been there. This is your dose of leadership excellence and survival. I am hitting the record button. Okay. Well, welcome. This is uh, Perry's Leadership Couch, and I am here with Erin Mack. And a little, a little introduction of Erin Mack, just so you know who she is, is she used to have a, a company that she built from the ground up and ended up uh, selling that company and transitioned from running, a, running her, her business to becoming a leadership and entrepreneurial consultant. So she does coaching and consulting and things of that nature. And she brings with her the experience of actually having gone through starting up a company and figuring out how to manage employees without necessarily all the wonderful support that you would you would like. And Aaron, maybe you could do a better job and, and fill fill everybody in a little bit more of, of who you are. Oh, thanks. And I'm super excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah, you know, I sort of happened into being an entrepreneur. I mean, I made a decision that I was going to be an entrepreneur, uh, but I didn't really know what that meant. And I think that that's kind of, you know, maybe why you have this podcast so that you can help entrepreneurs sort of work it out without having to go through all the uh, trials and tribulations, which is exactly why I do what I do, which is consult uh, small to medium sized businesses and um, executives on how to do these things, uh, learn from somebody who did go through the trials and tribulations so they don't have to. And I think that's super important and it's totally possible. And so I started a business. Um, I literally, this is, I'm going to age myself right now. I put an ad in the paper <laughs> that said, um, hire a housewife, will cook, clean, uh, run errands, uh, etc. And um, while I don't recommend that sort of ad, uh, because as you can imagine, there was some interesting phone calls I had, what it ended up actually <laughs> creating was I began to work for people and understand how to start a business for other people. They hired me to help them start a business. And then I recognized, oh, in me helping them start another business, I could start my own business. And so what came from that were two businesses. Uh, one was a cleaning business um, where I did house cleaning and construction cleaning um, that I didn't know how to do any of those things. They just sort of worked it out. And the other was a catering business. Um, I got hired right out of the gate by somebody who was training for a sporting event. And he wanted me to follow this specific diet and cook for him in bulk because he was a busy entrepreneur and he didn't have the time to do that. And he couldn't, you know, this was, again, back before there were all these other options like Whole Foods and these other things where you could just walk in and order a meal that was, um, you know, your dietary needs. And so, and then from that, you know, the catering business took off and the cleaning business took off at the same time. Um, but the cleaning business really, really took off. And so I had to make a decision at some point, you know, there's only so many hours in the day and, um, I went with that and it served me well. I had the business for 18 years. It morphed into all different kinds of cleaning, you know, commercial construction, residential. And then I started doing property management. And then two years ago, I was able to sell it because I learned all these things about business and how to put foundational pieces in place. And um, 
somebody bought it because it was a real asset. And um, now I teach people how to do all those things uh, so they don't, again, have to suffer. <laughs> there you go. So you, you went through the, the, the suffering of starting up uh, two businesses and then you decided you wanted to suffer again because you know, it was that much fun. <laughs> you know, honestly, sometimes I think, um, you know, being an entrepreneur it's, it takes a certain uh, mindset. I know we're going to talk about that, but it, it is very specific, you know, that you have an idea that you think that um, doesn't necessarily have to be like the innovative idea that there doesn't exist or, uh, you know, out there in the marketplace, but you have an idea and you feel like you could execute it either differently or better or whatever. And, um, and I sort of, yeah, I feel that way. Like, I feel like I'm kind of a double threat, right? I've had the experience of starting a business from nothing and growing it to sell. Um, and then um, consulting that entire time. Um, and then I have the mindset piece. Um, I'm a certified infinite possibilities trainer. And um, I've done, mm -hmm. I've worked for other seminar companies. And I've gone to a seminar and just about anything and, um, and, just a voracious reader in self-development. And so I feel like I bring both of those pretty strongly to the table. Uh, it, it seems like you, you really do enjoy studying. Oh my gosh. I think lifelong learning is absolutely, if you are a leader of any sort, even if you're not um, in your own business, if uh, this is my truth, if you're not a lifelong learner, uh, you're sort of missing like the biggest piece. And I don't just mean like studying you know, uh, business books or anything like that. But um, I think we're meant to be very well-rounded. And so if you're not sort of expanding yourself in some way, um, I feel like kind of life is going to sort of surpass you on some level. Um, and I maybe, you know, maybe I'm out to lunch on that, but that's what I believe is the truth, that there's so much to learn. And I just feel like um, you know, getting excited about learning new things and then sharing those things. I mean, I feel like as a coach, if I'm not learning and learning and learning, then at some point I'm going to run out of things to say, maybe, um, you know what uh -huh. I mean? Or <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think got you started with, with, with that idea or that, that thirst of knowledge or that, that necessity to learn? Gosh, you know, that's an interesting question. I feel like I have always been that way. And I've always been a voracious reader. Um, I think I just find it super exciting to know new stuff. And I am crazily enough, I can be an extrovert, you know, obviously, I'm a public speaker, I teach courses, um, and I work with people. <clears throat> um, but um, I also recognize through all this staying at home piece that I'm kind of a like, uh, <laughs> like I kind of like being at home, <clears throat> like it's okay with me. So um, I think, you know, there's, I think we all sort of have those pieces of our self. And so I think that learning gives me the opportunity to um, shut out kind of the rest of the world and, and take in some new information. It also provides me the opportunity to share with others, you know, when I'm being an extroverted, you know, in a social situation or with my clients, I get to, you know, um, keep teaching. And that's what I really love to do is, you know, learning for myself. And then once I learn something, I want to be able to share that. And so both of those sides of myself tend to kind of come out both in my coaching and in my personal life, you know, um, 
I was just thinking this the other day. I think my friends probably think I'm crazy because every time they see them, I'm like, oh my God, I'm taking this new class or I just read this new book. <laughs> they probably think I'm, you know, nuts going around uh, spouting out new ideas all the time. But I just, I think it's important. I think there's so much to learn and maybe not even enough time to learn it all, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that that's really important. It's, you have to do both things, right? You have to learn it. And then after you learn it, you have to go try it because there's a, there's a lot of information out there that isn't worth the pages it's, it's written on. And, I, and I've read those pages <laughs> and then I've turned around and tried to use them. And that's how, that's the only way you can really find out if the, the information is good, but you have to, you have to keep on learning. And, you know, for me, as far as leadership goes, it was in my thirties before I started realizing just how terrible of a leader I was. And, you know, I had a certain level of charisma, so that kind of got me through and I had a certain level of competence. So that kind of got me through, but I wasn't good at being a leader. I just happened to smile enough to where people would tolerate me and I did the job well enough so they wouldn't fire me. <laughs> but that, that's not that's not what a leader is, you know. You gotta you have to learn. And that's when I signed up. Uh, I signed up to the John Maxwell team and and went through it with them. I, I took a class at Harvard for leadership because I figured, hey, you know, these these people at Harvard seem like they might know a thing or two. Let's let's take a look at what they know and and apply it. And and you'll be surprised when you when you apply those things. You know, not everything John Maxwell says is great and works, and not everything Harvard suggests is great and works either. But some of it is absolutely fantastic, and you've got to do both parts. You have to do that learning, and then and then putting it to practice to be able to see if this theory, you know, or plan holds up when it when the rubber finally meets the road, right? Yeah, and I think you bring up a really good point, which is you know, is what I teach valuable for everybody? I believe it is. But am I going to attract everybody to me? No, like I'm not the one, you know, I'm not the only one that has good ideas, you know, Uh, I'm not the only one that's spent all these years learning and trying things out and, you know, in business and in life. And, and that's the thing, you know, that I think entrepreneurs, they get, they stumble upon in the beginning that just kind of trips them up. And I think that is part of the piece why it's challenging for Uh, new entrepreneurs or people starting new businesses to keep going because they think, oh, this thing I know, you know, it is applicable to everybody. But the thing is, is you can't actually attract everybody. I mean, of the billions of people in the world, you just, you're going to attract your tribe. And it's super important in terms of what you were saying before about, um, you know, are all the things in this program a fit for you? No. Right. So, you know, you have to be able mm-hmm. to discern what fits for you. You know, there's several ways to, you know, I, I hate this phrase, but skin a cat, right? <laughs> it's not, you yeah, know, yeah. it's not just the one way. <laughs> I say that all the time. <laughs> it's not just the one way to be a leader. It's not just the one program that works. It's not just the, you know, and that's, again, goes back to the lifelong learning. Like there is so much information out there. And yes, some of it, you know, I mean, on a, you know, don't want to dip into the woo woo too much, but the, you know, on a conscious level, you know, I'll bring in a client that, you know, doesn't have any platform to understand mindfulness or mindset. Um, And so I have to be able to adjust to where they're at, you know, versus me just talking about where I'm at. And the same goes for like ad copy. Like, you know, I can't, 
I know that what I teach could be applicable to most people's lives, but is it going to resonate with them? Maybe not. But if I come with all of this stuff uh, up front that maybe is out of their wheelhouse, then I'm definitely going to leave a lot of things up, you know, on the table that I could be accessing when you learn how to do ad copy in a way that makes sense for the um, a larger group of people then you can have more success, you know, versus I know this thing and I'm stuck on this one idea that I can help everybody. Then you're, you're, um, you're not teaching to a larger group. You're just, um, you know, actually, you know, uh, advertising to yourself basically. And so opening yourself up to understanding that, you know, if I, you know, get specific about the things, you know, the outcomes that my clients um, and or students can receive is a better approach than just saying I have all the answers, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, and a lot of people do that, right? They, they when they get into, especially if they're doing entrepreneurial and coaching or leadership or, or things like that, they're like, I, I want to attack everybody. And I, I did that, too. And when I sit down and looked at it and they're like, well, well, what do you do? And it's like, well, I used to be a general manager. So I, I have some level of leadership capabilities and I've taken these classes and I've got this background so I, I can help anybody. And it's like, okay, but who do you, who do you want to market yourself to and help? Do you want to help the individual? Or do you want to help corporate? You know, so who are, who are you going after? And then if you're going after corporate, what part are you going after? You want to deal with people in the power sector in the IT sector, the sectors you're very familiar with, you want to go into medical. Uh, or, or do you, and if you're doing individual people, what type of individual, individual people do you want to do and how do you speak in a way that, that resonates with them? So they understand that what you have is, is good. And when it comes to, to, um, doing the leadership for corporate, it, it's an interesting thing. And this is kind of what we talked about, uh, before we did the podcast and we had our, our meet and greet that I thought was a really interesting conversation is that both you and I, uh, understand NLP to, to a degree, right? And we both use it in our, in our coaching practices. And a lot of the NLP foundational principles to, to leaders in today's world can seem um, a bit woo woo, a bit soft, you know, cause we grew up in, and, you know, I'm not a spring chicken. I remember, you know, just put your head down and get the job done. Perry. Right. You know, I remember those moments. I remember being, and that was in the power industry. You know, these are not, these are not pleasant folks. You know, the, the, you were building a power plant. You were going to get it done. You were going to get it done on time or somebody was going to ride your ASS until you got it done, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and they were going to threaten you. And when you come in and understand that that's not really the best way to, to have sustainable results with your teams and you start understanding that, hey, you know, you have to evaluate their intentionality and you can't just prescribe evil intentions to them. Cause if you do that, then that changes the way that you speak to them. And then by changing the tone that you speak to them, it, it then comes out bad and they get demotivated and they think you're a butthole and nobody works well for a butthole, but, but they, but they, you can't, you know, they, they're like, well, I have to, what I have to watch out for their feelings. It's like, well, no, not really. It's just that you have to be sure of what you're trying to communicate, what you're trying to accomplish, and then say it in such a way that they can receive it and be able to accomplish it. That's what you're, but it's hard to really explain that to them. And then they, what they hear is be nicer to people. (laughs) (laughs) Have you been through that? I can't tell you. I actually am going through that with a client at the moment. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah. I mean, so here's the thing. If you're going to be in a leadership position, you absolutely must be open to feedback. I mean, (laughs) excuse me. If you think that you have all the answers, there is, there's a cap to where you're going to get, you know, um, you may be able to get to a higher position, but you know, I, sometimes I'm looking on LinkedIn and I see people and I look at their resume or their experience or whatever they post. And I think, you know, one year here, one year there, one year there, it's like, I'm not saying that longevity is everything. And maybe these people have, you know, they just have a really uh, clear idea of where they want to go and they stepped into a position that doesn't make sense. But if you see year after year that they're moving in a year or less, there's something going on there. There's a disconnect. And my thought is, you know, it, you know, certainly as a business owner, it's super expensive to hire and train. Like it's huge. And that's why I concentrate on that because it is a the, one of the largest expenses besides health insurance. The other thing is, um, you know, if they're moving, 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 there's a communication issue there. If you are in a leadership position, you do not need, uh, have the wherewithal to communicate in a way that is concise and clear so that your team members know, you know, specifically what their job is, what they're supposed to be doing and how they're supposed to be doing it. That is not an employee issue. That is a leadership issue. If they don't know those things, that is a leadership issue. They are not spending the time with each individual. And I know, again, this goes against, right? Like I don't have time to babysit all these people. It's not about the babysit. If you were clear about what they're supposed to be doing and how they're supposed to be doing it from jump, then there is no issue there. So you weren't, you know, so, and this is, you know, again, we get into a little bit of the mindset stuff, right? personal, taking personal responsibility for, you know, how are you showing up for your team, um, your business, your company, your department, whatever, you know, this is, you know, if the results are not what you want, it's not about the team. It's about you and not in a blaming way. It's how do I come up with a solution to create the, um, not only the experience I want to have, but the results I need to have. And that is not a, you know, this is, yeah, this is a generation gap issue too, right? Um, we're of an older yeah. generation. We were told, you know, boss says this, says jump, you jump. You do this and you get it done. It's not an issue of that. Uh, the workforce is significantly millennial now and they are not putting up with that. They do not like that. That is not how they are wired. And there's nothing wrong with them. I actually, I am a huge proponent for millennials. They understand work-life balance. They understand that if um, somebody doesn't give you concise and clear information, that you cannot get the job done and they will not put up with it. They will up and go, I'm out. This doesn't work for me. You don't know how to communicate and I need to find someplace else. And sometimes it looks like this other company has more perks, but I'll tell you that People want to be valued. That is the number one thing that you can do for your employees is value them on a level that they feel valued, not you. And it's not about the money. It is about loyalty comes when they feel valued, period. And that means inspired. They have some sort of say. I'm not saying you have to do what they want you to do, 
but you, they have to be heard on some level and they have to matter on some level because we're all humans. And if leadership, people in leadership positions cannot understand this at this point, they will not go far from this point moving forward. They have to understand that manpower is their biggest asset. And if they can't figure out a way to be personable and let the team members know that they matter on their level, not not the leadership level, then they're they're in for some heartache. It's not happening anymore because they will not millennials will not put up with that. And I'm 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 on their side. I'm cheering for them because I think that they yeah. they have it right. Well it it's you know so many there's so many dynamics at play. So there there was a time where jobs were not as easy to come by. And and we're li- we're living in the United States and I I think I've mentioned to you I've worked in Africa, I've worked in the Middle East and Latin America. I've worked in different job markets and and where you don't have opportunities where you're stuck at this job and you're just clinging on for dear life because if you lose this job you're not going to feed yourself. Um you can get away with a lot more on how you treat people, but that doesn't make them more productive. That just, that just means that you, 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 your crappy leadership gets masked by their necessity for work and, and they're still not high performing. They just show up. It's like, they do the bare minimum they do to, you know, like, what, what do I have to do to not lose this job? But when you're in the United States and maybe, maybe that's changing a little bit during the COVID era because, because of all the layoffs that have happened. But when you're, when you're inside of the U S and people have options, it's very important to know how to how to treat people to get them motivated and want to do work. Now that doesn't mean go kiss their butts because if you do that then, then it's it's like the child that you give them everything they want. They grow up and they're useless. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So you can't treat your employees. You know, we're not saying that, but a lot of times people who listen to this type of conversation think, "Oh, they're saying just give them what you want." Look, I think if you're buying them bean bags, I you're probably just on the wrong train. Because first off, they they're not wanting beanbags. That's not what they want. <laughs> they may told they may have told you they wanted beanbags, but they, that's that's nobody stays at working for you because they have a beanbag. It just doesn't happen. No, yeah. So I agree. You have to understand the one phrase that I remember they told me. They said, "How do I need to be perceived?" And that's something that stuck with me for a very long time. And that that goes into the emotional intelligence again. Words that people tend to misinterpret, but. If you, if I want, if Aaron and me are doing a job and we're, we're trying to accomplish a goal and I need her help to accomplish the goal, the question I'm going to ask myself before I open my mouth and talk to her about it is how does Aaron need to perceive me for her to want to go do that? And then I will act according to that because I want the goal accomplished <laughs> and I need Aaron. And the only reason not the only reason, but the main reason that people can't swallow that is ego. Mm. You're like, I need, I'm going to say, I'm going to be, you know, what's it? I'm going to be true to myself and speak my heart. It's like, no, you want to accomplish a goal and you're a leader. You're going to understand the person you're talking to, understand how they need to perceive you and what you're saying in order for them to be motivated to achieve the goal. That's leadership. And that's where a lot of people, uh, they, they just, they can't fill that gap, you know? Yeah, I agree. That's, that's huge. You know, I've had several clients lately that are like, you know, we do, we do, in, you know, uh, we do have transparency. We, you know, let the employees know all these things and, um, and they feel like, you know, and now we come to this situation where one of the employees is 
creating havoc because they're like, well, you know, now that we have transparency, you know, uh, they're questioning things. And I said, look, being a leader does not mean that just because you're an employee, you give them transparency and they come to you with whatever, that you have to enact anything that they say. No, you are the boss. <laughs> you don't stop being the boss. You still are the boss. It just makes people feel better and more valued when they're a part of the whole thing. You know, that's what the transparency is about. It's not like, let's let everybody know how much money they make or any of that stuff. That's not of value. What's of value is when you tell people, this is your position. Here is the scope of the work that I and my expectation of you in this position. And this is how it fits in the overall universal picture of this business in terms of the mission and the goal. And, you know, this is where your cog is in this machine, right? That's what transparency yeah. is. It's not like, let them all know all this stuff. And yeah, am I open? I always had an open door policy. You have a better way. I want to hear about it. Just because you tell me it's better does not mean that I'm going to enact it. <laughs> but you can come anytime with a new idea because I am 100% open for efficiency, effectiveness, different, whatever, if it works. But just because you decided it works for your team or whatever doesn't mean that it works for the all the teams. So, you know, still be the boss, still be the leader and, you know, make it okay for people to to say stuff and be open to it. You know, that's that ego piece is like, do I know all the all the things? No. Obviously not. But I do know the overall overarching pieces of my business. So if you come with an idea that seems like a good idea to you, I may have to say no because I understand all the parts and you only understand this piece. Um, so that's, you know, being a leader and that, and people are looking for that, right? They, they, they love to be inspired by somebody who's, um, you know, takes action, who is excited about things, who's open to things, you know, leadership is, it's just like raising a kid. It's like they're modeling your behavior. So, you know, what are you bringing to the table as a leader? Um, and you can see it in production and um, how happy your employees are and turnover, right? Those are obvious signs. Yeah. I mean, when, when I was over in, in Africa, um, I had, you know, we had about 120 employees, some expats and, and a lot of people from from Mozambique, Africa. And, and trying to, th that's when I really discovered that I had to become a good leader because I was paying the Africans one third of what my competition was paying them. And they were literally three miles down the road. Like you could see them. <laughs> and I had to figure out how to keep these employees working for me, knowing that the competition in the country paid them more than I could pay them because of, you know, just mistakes have been made during uh, mobilization and, and the startup of the company. And that's when I that's when I had to really go into like, OK, well, if I don't have money, uh, what, what do I have to do to keep these people around and, and keep them motivated? And and it goes to, to kind of that thing is it's, it's not just doing what you, what they want, but it's listening to to what they have to say, giving giving them participation and doing it honestly. 
you know, and it can be hard a lot of the times because sometimes you'll have people talking to you that literally will come up with the worst idea ever. And you can't roll your eyes at that. You know, you can't sit there and just go, oh, if you could just please, my ears are bleeding. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. You can't do that. You know, what you have to do as a leader is go, okay, well, how would that work? What about this piece? How would this work? And you have to have the patience to go through almost a coaching session asking what and how questions to get them to see their own idea in play and back away from it themselves. Yeah. And that's a, that's a skill set a leader has to have if you want highly engaged employees. And we don't always get to go hire the, the best and brightest people. It, it, sometimes you have to develop them. You get to, maybe you hire the best and brightest person, but they're 20. You know, so they're not, they're not, they've got some road to go by and you have to bring them up. And if you don't spend those time, that time coaching to with them, you're not going to do it. And there's an exercise I do with, uh, with anybody who does any kind of consulting with me on leadership. The first thing I make them do is go to their employees and ask them questions whose answers they don't want to hear. That's the first thing. Like I'm, it's extremely uncomfortable. People, they, they hate me for it at first. They really do. Like, do I really have? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you, you cannot take action against them. You need to just under understand. And when we talk about it in our in our session, when I try to get them to understand what they're doing, I said, look, let me tell you something. They might all be wrong, but when you're going to sit down and talk to them, understand in your mind that you're not trying to figure out who's right and who's wrong. You're trying to figure out what are all the perspectives and what is all the information. And then you can stop playing checkers and you can start playing chess. Nice. Yeah. And then they go, oh, okay. So I shouldn't get mad when they say I suck. <laughs> exactly. You should ask them why they think you suck. <laughs> what about me sucks? What am I doing that is antagonizing you? And they may say something as silly as you've been smacking on gum when you walk by. Who knows? I mean, I, I've seen all kinds of answers. A and then you work through that. And sometimes it's not a valid thing, but that conversation does open up a pathway. It gives you a perspective of what's actually going on around you because most people walk around and have no clue what other people think of them, uh, much less their employees, because their employees are motivated to not tell the boss anything bad because they like their jobs. <laughs> you know, and so this kind of opens that up and, and gets them through it. Do, do you have any exercises like that? Like, what, what do you do with your with your clients when they come to you and they're like, OK, Aaron, I, I need to figure out how to improve my team. What are some of your go to's? Well, first, I'll say I love the open door policy, but the open door policy is not uh, a right for them to come in and whine and complain. <laughs> what it is about is what I would tell my staff anyway, and what I do tell my clients is, you know, allow them to come in and say the stuff and know they're not going to get fired and know they're not going to get in trouble or any of those things, but they have to come up with a solution too. Does it mean you're going to use their solution? Absolutely not. But I don't, I mean, I don't know about you. I don't want to sit there and listen to a bunch of whining all day long. You know, um, their leadership yeah, yeah. requires, you know, you to toe that line. Like, like you still have to get, you still have to produce, you know, it's not like you're holding everybody's hand and listening to all their emotional stuff. And um, by that, I mean, as a leader in your team, um, no, it's not, it's not just that. It's like you, you have to figure out a way to motivate them in a way that makes sense, both for you to get what you need to get done and for them to do that thing. And so that's the challenging piece. And most of it, like you alluded to, is emotional intelligence. 
It's you understanding that people are motivated by different things. Everybody thinks it's money. And obviously people aren't going to work for free, but it's not money. It is not, that is not the thing. That's not what creates loyalty. And it's not why people work for you. They want to be inspired. And so, you know, sort of alluding to what you were saying before, you know, listening to your employees tell you this stuff. I recognize that everybody has their own experience. And so we could both have, you know, go through the same experience and recall it very differently, which is why, you know, people that see crimes are not a good resource (laughs) because we all have our own filters of, you know, the experience we've had in the past and what um, we've decided about those things. And um, so teaching leaders that, you know, the, this filter that you have is different than the filter that the next person has is one way for them to do that exercise that you're talking about, which is, you know, allowing people to tell you like, what's what. Um, And I think that's a great exercise. Um, But for me, I think it's more about as a leader, uh, going back to the like personal responsibility thing. There's two things that I teach right out of the gate. One is the dominant thoughts that you think are what creates your reality. And I don't think that's a stretch for people to understand. Like if you think about like, I like have this goal and I think about it and think about it and think about it. And then I created it, you know, whether it's getting a degree, whether it's starting a business, right? So that's not a stretch. The second piece is that personal responsibility piece. So if A is true that the things I'm thinking about the most is what creates my reality, then I am responsible for the results. So, you know, that's, you know, looking at your business going, okay, what's not happening? Am I not, there's not a good flow of money coming in. I'm sitting on a lot of receivables. I have unhappy staff. Production is not good. Customer service is not good. Service in general is not where it needs to be. A lot of complaints, you know. So that's you. Instead of going, my employees did this, 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 and this, or didn't do these things, where do I need to um, figure out a way to get my employees to do the things that I want? And that does require some time. It's not just, you know, yeah, you you taking responsibility for the outcome. I mean, ultimately it's your, you know, as a business owner or even as in leadership, it's you, right? Like the boss or the client, they're coming to you because even though you didn't do the work, you are responsible. I'm asking you to take it to an even deeper level where you are personally not looking at your employees going, you didn't do X, Y, and Z. You're looking at yourself going, where is the breakdown here? Why does my staff not do what I need them to do? Why is money not coming in how I need it to? Um, And all those things that I listed off before, like, where am I in all of that? And that's a very different stance. And when you come with that stance, then you can begin to create from a place of inspiration, not only for yourself, but then your staff gets to see that too. They're inspired, they get to see you kind of you know, start to enact some changes. And, um, and honestly, like, I don't know about you, but like in every leadership position I've ever been in, I, I tell my staff like, Oh my God, I screwed up. And the thing is, is when I would screw up, 
because I had all these foundational pieces and I had relationships with my staff, they would come to rescue. You know, I would say, Oh my God, I screwed up the schedule and we need to go take care of this thing right now. And, or it's after hours and I screwed this thing up. Can I, can you help me or whatever? Um, they would, they would come to that for me. And that's how you get people to do that stuff is you be human, not leadership. Like, you know, uh, I'm on the top and you're below me. Like I do this thing, you do this other thing, this other group does this other thing. And that's how it all fits together. And yes, I ultimately have the last say, but I'm totally capable of screwing things up and do it on a regular basis. And it's okay, you know, and it's okay for you too. I'm not going to fly off the handle if something doesn't go well, but I am going to ask you about it. And I'm going to expect you to give me a real reason, um, you know. And one of the other things that I um, uh, like to, you know, talk to clients about is, you know, they'll come to me and I'll go, ah, you know, all of a sudden my admin person is like screwing up this thing. They screwed up payroll. They sent out a email that wasn't BCC and everybody saw everybody else's emails. And, you know, and I was like, you know, she's always been a highly, or he's always been a highly um, competent person. This is a blip. So why don't you start that one-on-one with them with, is everything okay? Right. Because Usually when somebody's high functioning and all of a sudden there's something going on, there's a personal issue happening there and they've brought it to work because we're human and that's what we do. We cannot separate these things as much as we like to think we can. And there's an issue, you know, maybe it's COVID, they're trying to teach their kid and do their job at home and all this stuff, you know? And so taking that other stance, not like you did this and you didn't do it well, it's like, what's going on for you? And inevitably they're like, you know, there's something going on and I apologize, you know, and that writes the shit just right there. Just treating them like a human. I think that's, that's so key is, is that, you know, we talked, we touched on it a little bit was that intentionality piece. If you, if you go in and you have a high functioning person that, that does do exactly like you said, they, they mess up. Chances are there is something going on. Uh, But if you approach them with the mindset of, they're goofing off now. They think they got it made. When you talk to them, that's going to come out. The tone will come out. The expressions on your face will come out. That's going to impact them. And you may have a high-functioning person that did a boo-boo that would continue being a high-functioning person, but because you choose to believe that they're no longer going to be so, you treat them in a way that will make them not be so. And you kind of, you know, a self-fulfilling prophecy. And a lot of people don't understand that the way that you view the other side, and, and I, I, not, I don't want to get into the detail of politics, but you can see that in politics today. One side thinks the other side is Satan, period. <laughs> uh, not blue, not red. I'm not saying which one's right. I'm just saying that both of them think the other one is absolutely Satan. And, and if they win, everything's, you know, it's over. That's it. <laughs> and if you, uh, you can't operate like that in leadership, you have to operate with, I believe that you are a good, competent, capable human being who is doing the best that you can given the resources that you have. So if you are failing, going to your personal responsibility point, there is something that I have not provided you that you need, or there is something that you have that you're unaware of that I need to help you find that will, that will help you be productive. Now I'm not saying do that forever because if they don't, if they don't get better, you fire them. And actually in my book that's coming out, I have a whole, 
outline of how I fired, almost fired someone and got down to the very last bit and they turned it around. But you do eventually have to fire them. But that's that's a process. First, you have to understand there's something that you may be doing that is antagonizing them in some way that is prohibiting them from from doing a good job. And some people go, well, hey, now you're telling me to treat them nice. I said, no, here's an example. There's a one lady I know works at a company. She's a very high performing person. Every time she did a great project, somebody else took credit. Every single time, usually her boss or her boss's boss. And she was, you know, for a good long while, high performing team, high performing leader. And eventually she turned into the, oh, you want me to do that? Can you send me an email first? (laughs) And that's not who she is. That's who they made her be. They actually destroyed a high functioning person because of the way they chose to steal credit for, for the pro the projects that she did and not, not, they could have shared it. They could have basked in the glow. She didn't work for them after all, but you know, they just kind of did that whole like, Oh yeah, she did nothing. You know, she, she really just uh, flips light switches in the back. It's I did all the stuff, you know? And, and then when she did, when she had did mistakes, they came down on her triply hard because since the boss said he was doing it and he owned it, when she messed up, it looked like he messed up. So he turned around and kicked her in the butt Mm. and she became an absolutely mediocre employee that hates going to work. And and, well, she doesn't work there anymore, (laughs) but she hated going to work. And then she eventually quit and went on somewhere else. That company just lost a rock star. You had a rock star that was performing and you chased her out the door simply because you applied the wrong presupposition and maybe a little bit of greedy about getting credit. <laughs> and the company probably doesn't even know. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's just so many of these type of scenarios where people need help and, and company needs, the companies need their leaders to, to really look at themselves and, and do the right things to be able to keep these, these great people around. Yeah. And I say, you know, one of the exercises I do with people is right around that, which is like, you alluded to it and and spoke about it, which was, um, you know, seeing people in the way that you want to see them versus how you, you know, from your vantage point. And I'll, I'll tell people just even from, uh, you know, like any of you, you know, anybody get angry when they're driving and nobody uses their signal, cuts you off, does all the stuff, right? You're just like, oh, you don't know how to drive. I switched that all around and decided that that person, you know, what if that person is having a really bad day and they just found out that, you know, their wife has cancer and is going to die, right? That would change your perspective, right? That person cut me off. I'm going to give them a little slack because they're having a really hard day. They might lose their wife, right? So that sounds extreme, but the reality is, is when you begin to see people in a different light, guess what? They show up that way versus what that whole scenario that you just talked about. When you give people the wherewithal and the space, the environment to grow and thrive, guess what they do? They actually meet the mark. But when you constantly berate them and or don't acknowledge them and or you know, don't um, empower them to, you know, I'm definitely not saying hold everybody's hand all the way through. Absolutely not. You either are high functioning in your position or you're not, but I need to make sure as a leader that I've done everything. I've supported you in every way that I possibly can. 
are you going to always make the mark? Is every employee going to make the mark? Absolutely not. Is every, it's like saying, you know, can you make every relationship work? Yeah, no, (laughs) it's not possible. It's okay too. But it's also, are you again, shooting yourself in the foot and not giving them the space, the environment to thrive? Um, And I think that you're right. I think that happens all the time. And the, the, the part about the, the presuppositions, and I, I just want to, I want to say it in a different way again, because this, this is something that I struggled with when, when I, when I learned them. And the reason I say, oh, you're saying, you're saying being nice, you're saying these things is because I said those things. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was the general manager of a power facility. My idea of getting something done was get it done, <laughs> you know, and then that should be enough. I pay you, I told you, then go do your job or else you won't have one bubba you know and that's that's the way that i that i saw the world for the large the largest part and it works generally i mean you're not going to yeah your business may not go bankrupt because of it but it sure as heck ain't going to experience exponential growth because of it and when you look at people and you prescribe those intentions you change the way that you act towards them and then they change the way that they act towards you. So a simple thing. Everybody knows a guy who's an asshole, right? I mean, you you know, somebody who you think this person's just an asshole. Okay. There are people who love that person. (laughs) There are people who think that person is the best thing since sliced bread. You think he's an asshole. Well, what's the difference between you and those other people? And why is it that those other people think they're great and you think they're bad? And then start looking at the way you treated that person and see for yourself if you if you like were truly honest with the way that you've you've interacted with that person. Ask yourself, did you create the asshole or or <laughs> or was it one when you when you met it? And a lot of the times you find out when you're when you're honest with yourself is that the action that you've taken create that. So my my wife uh, she gets, she thinks I'm nuts because I, I say all kinds of crazy things to people, uh, mainly to be funny. And just because I'm a jovial guy, but I get so much stuff, Aaron, for free. Um, I get discounts everywhere. It's just crazy. People just give me stuff. And she's like, how do you do it? And I'm like, well, I just treat them great. If I know what they're going through, I, I have a talk about what they're going through. And then Avis rent a car goes, well, okay, sir. Well, you know what? You didn't know about this, but I can give you discounts. I'll go ahead and take this much money off of your van and go right ahead and have a great vacation and, you know, just stuff like that all the time. And that is directly because I started implementing those presuppositions going, you know what? I'm going to understand them and I'm going to treat them as if they're amazing freaking people. I'm going to be happy that I'm seeing them. I'm going to be happy that they are taking the time of their day to rent me that car or whatever it is they're doing, cutting my hair, whatever. I'm going to appreciate it and be happy that they're taking the time to do it. And if you act that way, you'll be amazed at how much stuff people do for you. Oh, I a hundred (laughs) percent agree. That happens to me all the time as well. And I tell people that all the time. It's like, you have no idea what's going on with people, right? So you just, you know, like the car example I used before, but it's like that ripple effect is, it's real. It's not just, you know, um, you know, I, and my daughter always gives me a hard time because she's at that age where I'm embarrassing, but you know, we go to the grocery store and I'm like, you know, hi, how are you to the, you know, to random strangers and also to the clerk and, you know, hi, how are you? And I look them in the eye and I genuinely 
am interested in what's going on for them. And that, you know, you just, the thing is we don't get the feedback, right? We don't like, I didn't get to hear from the clerk that my saying, hi, how are you? And genuinely taking the time to say that and looking in their eye made their day, but I don't know what's going on for them. Maybe they're having struggles in some area of their life and that's just what they needed or that, you know, kind, jovial or joking banter. Like that's just how I come in this world. And I always tell my daughter, because we like to do these epic travels around the world and stuff. And I said, you know, every time before we go on the trip, I said, do you know how I know everybody's super nice in the world? She's and why we have these incredible, like epic experiences. And she's like, why? And I said, because when you come nice, other people come nice back to you. They just do. That's the thing, <laughs> so you know, so like, if I came and act like, you know, uh, entitled, um, we just have a reputation as U.S. people uh, when we travel sometimes, unfortunately, um, that we're, you know, demanding and entitled and all this stuff. But when we come happy and nice and accommodating and right and not freaking out because something didn't go exactly how we wanted it to, um, guess what happens? Like all kinds of crazy things happen. Like. Uh, people, you know, mm-hmm. give you stuff and are super nice to you. And, you know, if you're in a bind, they help you out. And, you know, when you make the effort, they recognize it. You know, I don't tell, can't tell you how many times I've been in a foreign country and I don't know the language. And I'm, you know, in a pharmacy going, you know, my kid has a rash or something and I don't know what to do. And I don't have a language and I'm, you know, flailing about with my hands trying to communicate, but I got a smile on my face and I'm like, can you help me? And here it is. And look at this thing. And, and, you know, people will bend yep, over yep. backwards to help you when you're like that, when you come that way. Yeah. And, and the, it, that applies directly into leadership in the office, except that you have to be more consistent about it because they see you. All <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And consistency so, is, a good, and, is, is key. It really is just like with a child, you know, if you let them get away with one thing one day and then the next day, I'm not saying it's the same relationship, obviously not, but um, yeah, I mean, get, that's the very first thing that I do with every single client is where are you at on mission and goal? Like, what is your intention here? You know, they get going on their business and like, everybody's like, yeah, there's this goal. We need to land this client or whatever. But like, what is the core values that you want to portray here? And are they your own? Because if they're not, guess what? Your employees are going to see that and go, yeah, no. He says this thing, but he acts this other way. And he says, you know, kindness is important, but yet he's yelling at me or getting upset every time something goes wrong, you know? Yeah. Wells Fargo is the perfect example of that. We value our customers. We have integrity. And then, then, you know, (laughs) then they made them what do the quote in that one town to where within 185 days, they would have signed up every man, woman, and child in the town with a Wells Fargo account. And then they would fire people if they didn't meet the quotas. It's like... Yeah, you have a mission statement, a vision, and, and your values on your wall, but you don't live them out in your in your meeting rooms and, and your day to day decisions, and and that incongruency is always shows up. That that gap is noticeable, and it affects the way people think of you and the ones that work for you. That's how you get whistleblowers, you know. Exactly, and that's what you know. Again, you could talk about all day how your employees don't do X, Y, and Z, or they're complaining or whatever, and it's like, okay, well, where are you? and all that, like, what are you doing? Why are you creating an environment where they are complaining? (laughs) There's something there for you (laughs) to learn from. 
That's right. And I think that's that's something that that most of us struggle with is is being able to to look at look at ourselves in in an honest manner. There's a saying: nobody lies to you more than yourself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's that that's the thing. And so you think you're great. You think you're this. You think you're you know whatever it is that you think, and your perspective of you isn't necessarily uh, uh, who you are, and you're not being perceived in the way that they need to perceive you in order to achieve their their objectives. And you have to you have to deal with that. You have to get that feedback and be open to it. And part of that, beyond listening to the people, is what you said: take that personal responsibility, and not just say I'm responsible for the failure in a meeting. Although that is useful and helpful to get your team to trust you, you know, not sit there in a meeting and start pointing fingers at everybody, but say, look, I'm the one who leads this team. If anything goes wrong, it, it's on me. But to actually go back and sit down and go. What is it that I could have done differently myself that would have changed the outcome? Yeah. And, I, and then honestly answer that question. I agree a hundred percent. I think that, um, you know, what you said before is absolutely correct. Like we are just simply too close to ourselves to understand how we are in this world. I mean, that's why, you know, I always tell this to people and clients and stuff. It's like, you know, you have that friend and they come to you and they're like, oh, this is happening. And that's, and you're like, yeah, ditch the girl, ditch that job. It's not working. You know, like you can see it all super clear. It's like, yeah, duh, you know, <laughs> but we can't see it for ourselves <laughs> because we're simply just too close to it. We're just in it, you know, and we can't see that there might be a simple solution. And that's the thing that is so great about coaching and having a mentor or somebody that you can bounce ideas off of because we just are too close. And then also, you know, allowing your employees to have a part in, you know, what's happening. Um, you know, for me, um, having, you know, more than 20 employees, clearly I can't, you know, be, you know, I had like four or five teams going out each day to provide service. I can't be at every single place. You know, I can't go and check all of the work myself. I can't go and, you know, be an engagement with every single employee every day. But if I make those foundational pieces and I have a relationship with them, then they will come to me when there's an issue. And, and that is, you know, that's worth gold because otherwise if, you know, if people are just quitting and you don't get any, like, why are you leaving or whatever, that is an issue. That is a leadership issue. That is huge. You know, that's like, I don't matter. And you're not even going to notice that I'm gone. Um, and that's not, that's, it's just not okay anymore. It's just not, I don't think. Well, it, it's kind of like, what does it look like when it's done right? You know, with, with the people immediately around you and it's like, okay, look at the end of the day, if this is done correctly, what you should see is that when you're, when you're, when you're up a Creek and you have no paddle, they're trying to figure out how to paddle. You know, that's, that's what you're producing. And when you do this correctly at the end of the day, that's the type of team you have when your back's against the wall, they're, they're right there with you. Look at how to get out of that situation with you. Not because they're getting paid money, not because they think it's their, their job, but because they're doing it because they trust you. They like you. They, they want to help you. They desire to help you. And the funny thing about that is that if, if people don't like to help people, they don't like, it's true. Yeah, <laughs> like it's, it is true. You know, groundbreaking research has shown <laughs> that people don't like to help people they don't like. <laughs> so 
is like how think about a boss you've had that antagonized you or that you didn't really enjoy that much or you didn't think appreciated you at all. And and think about how how when you arrived at work at eight o'clock in the morning or seven or six or ten or whenever you showed up for work, how did you feel about it? When when it was close to going home, how did you feel? Like how many times did you look at your clock? Like if you were leaving at five, when did you start looking at your watch to see how close it was to five? When you work for somebody like that, just think about that. And that is not what you want. You want a person who's in there who loses track of time, not because they're buried in work, but because they want to do what they need to do. You, at the end of the day, also, another thing that you'll see when you have a good leadership uh, or you have good leadership in your company, your employee will feel way, way worse about messing something up than you could possibly beat them over the head. Absolutely. With. Absolutely. You know, and I've had that over in Africa. We had a couple of, of fairly not very good things happen. And they, I, I didn't raise my voice. I didn't yell at anybody because they were beating themselves up. It, it's like what I think this movie, The Priest, where he's sitting back there and and uh, uh, he, he's beating himself in the back and punishing himself. I forgot what movie it was. Yeah, cool movie. But basically, my employees were, were just doing that to themselves. And I'm like, OK, give, give, give me the way. <laughs> come here. <laughs> We're going to we're going to see ourselves through. What do we have to do to get through this? And and you, I'll give you your whip back after we're done if you still want to whip yourself. But right now, let's focus on how do we get through this? And, and, and yeah, we're fine. But that's what it looks like when you do it right. When you do it wrong, everything goes wrong. They turn around and they just point their finger at you. You uh -huh. see that guy over there? See that boss guy? Yeah. Yeah. It's his fault. <laughs> I mean, you hit on a key thing, I think. It's, you know, I think it is innately human to want to help people. But certainly, as you said, you don't want to help people that, you know. So when you make a mistake, you want to make sure your team is on your side so that you can fix the damage, you know. Otherwise, you're out on, you're on your own lifeboat by yourself <laughs> trying to work it out, you know. And that's no fun. No, absolutely. You have to you have to have that relationship with them. And and it's it's a, it's many things that we can't cover just in, in one podcast. But I think that we we've done a really good job talking a, a little bit about that, that self-reflection and, and a key, you know, just to break down kind of what we've talked through in here, which are almost all principles of NLP. One of them is is you, you mentioned map of the world. Okay, and what, what that means and what Aaron said is that they look at things from a different point of view. And that's what we call it in LP is it's a map of the world. How do they see things? And they see things differently than you do. You think you're great. They think you're terrible. Okay, you're the same person, right? I mean, it's just different perspectives. So everybody has a different perspective. It doesn't mean anybody's right. It just means that those perspectives exist and you need to know them. If you don't know the different perspectives, you're a leader playing checkers instead of playing chess. All you're doing is limiting yourself. So that's one thing that Aaron mentioned that I thought was really, really good. And then the other one is looking at your presuppositions. That's an NLP thing. And again, I'm going to get I'm now that it, now that it's all understood, I'm going to get real woo woo. <laughs> um, <laughs> these are all presuppositions. Why do you want to assume the best of other people when you know for a fact that there will be people who will take advantage of you. This is why. Because you're not playing a zero-sum game. You're playing a percentage game. You want to act in the way where you have the highest probability of success. That's it. 
So if you act in a way where you're assuming the best in other people, you are, you will be right far more than you will be wrong. And then you, you adjust, you start learning how to read people a little bit better. You give them a chance. And then obviously you have to cut them off. I'm not saying that you don't fire people, you don't cut people off, but those presuppositions help get you in the mindset because right now I say is something that people think I'm really, really mean about. And I say, look, 90% of the people that work for you are great. 10% probably take behind the shed. You know? <laughs> <All right. Yep. laughs> and they look at me, they're like, that's so mean. I'm like, okay, 90% of the people that work for you, do you think they're rock stars? They're like, no. I'm like, okay, well, that's what I said. I said, 10% of your team is terrible. 90% of them are fantastic. So if you're not getting high performance out of 90% of the team that you have, then there's not something wrong with the team. There's something wrong with you. And the percentage is even less because look at all the hiring practice we have to filter people out that aren't good. So, and, and that's some, so I'm saying you, you do have to, you do have to cut those 10% of the people out, which you'll find. But that 90% of the people are going to be high performers and you use those presuppositions because, again, you are playing a, a game of percentage, a game of probabilities. You want to have the highest percentage chance to win. And, and that's, how, that's how you do it. You know, I mean, I get at least the way I, I feel about uh, it. No, I know. What agree. about you? Ernie? And I do, um, you know, I'm super positive person and not the positive, like fake positive. That is like this idea that I see with a lot of my clients. Well, I'm super positive with my staff. I'm like, yeah, no, sometimes you got to come with what's happening <laughs> and what's happening right now is not good. So come with that. But, um, I think that there is a percentage of people that just are not going to be high functioning and may not fit into you know, the culture, the mission, the, you know, they may not be behind those things. They just kind of need a job or, you know, um, and you can, and I just, I mean, it's just been my experience. And again, I'm super positive person. It's not, I don't see it as a negative. I just think that there's always going to be a, I don't know how to say this in the right way, but like a lower functioning piece of your business, um, you know, an area where you can look to work at, and often it tends to be a, um, and maybe I'm out there, but um, a, the least skilled um, piece, or that's just always been my experience. Um, the um, sort of the worker bee that, you know, has a skill set that is not on a higher level, um, that there is some turnaround that happens in and that's okay because you are going to have some turnaround. Like that's just people have lives and stuff comes up and not everybody can be on board. Um, again, I would say, you know, look at your mission and your values and your goals. Um, but there is just a little faction of people that, um, yeah. And I don't think it's always up to the leadership for, for that little, you know, 10% is, is nothing. If you got 90%, doing like a bang up job, then who cares about the 10%, you know, that's my way of thinking. Yeah. Well, they have like this, I forgot what it is, but it's something around anywhere between eight to 12% of the people have an IQ lower than 80, you know? And, and so I, I kind of got my number uh, beyond just personal anecdotal experience of just working and, and then applying leadership principles. And look, I ran a power plant in Africa and the 15th most impoverished country in the world, their universities suck. That's where I got my engineers. Okay. So this is raw material. Average IQ of Africa is 70, by the way. 
And I don't mean this in a bad way. I'm just saying I look these things up because I need to be a leader. I need to build this business and it needs to work. So I went and looked and I, I was shocked. And that was not my experience with the people that we hired, by the way. But um, that's what the, the study showed me. And we brought those people up and we and we and we trained them. And now they're running the power plant right now. They're absolutely, absolutely excellent. So you can bring people up, but there are some hard limits uh, that exist in the world. And, you know, for example, if your IQ is below 80, then you're not going to do complex jobs. It's just the way it is. It's not it's not a thing of uh, it's just it's the way things work. You cannot you're incapable of doing those type of complex decision making um, type of positions. And I have a, a my brother in law actually heads a nonprofit, a very large nonprofit, where they employ 70% of their their uh, workforce is disabled. And they are a huge packing company for for um, uh, super cereal and, and other things for the government. And, and now they, they expanded. They went out to private industry. They went from just being having a lot of government contracts to private industry. And they're incredibly efficient. Because certain jobs can be done with somebody who has a disability. So it's just right tool for the right job, and they're willing and able to do the work. And so you just have to find the right places to put the right pieces. And 90% of them work. If this company can function and have to figure out how to get rid of their money because they can't turn profit because they're a nonprofit, with 70% of their workforce being disabled, <laughs> you, you can figure it out, buddy. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, and that's the thing too. It's not about like, you know, the kind of job or maybe even their intelligence. I like, I always tell people, cause a lot of people think that, you know, if I want to hire somebody who already has some skill set and, you know, put them in this position and it's like, I find that my clients have a better, they have a better experience and they produce a better employee when they take the time to train somebody who doesn't already have the skill set, not saying they don't have, they have to have, you know, for whatever the position is, they have to have whatever the um, wherewithal is. But, um, you know, we often think, oh, if I could just, you know, hire somebody, because that's the shortcut, right? Is if I hire somebody who has a skill set already, then um, I don't have to train them. But the problem is, is if they have the skill set and they did it in another business, then they have all this other like things that came with the way that business was run that you have to dismantle in order to, you know, so hiring for me is less, I mean, unless you're like a, you know, computer, like an engineer of some sort where there is, you know, very specific things that there is no leeway with. Um, a lot of times hiring a, the right personality, the right person and training them for your business is a better fit than hiring somebody who has, you know, um, this skill set that they say they have from this other company. Because um, for me, hiring people and training them, even if they didn't have the experience, was a better fit. And a lot of my clients find that as well. It's like, oh, I tried to do this, but then they had this experience in this company that I had to like untrain them on. And I didn't realize it until they made this huge mistake, you know? And, um, yeah. yeah, so there's just, I mean, obviously there's a balance. Um, but I think hiring people versus skill set sometimes is a better is, or often is a better fit than, um, you know, hiring people for skill set and they don't fit into mission goal, vibe, culture, you know, 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and, and it, it varies based on position, right? So your senior management, obviously you want, you want a couple of people normally that have some nice gray hair just because they, they help you not, you know, blow up your, your company while you're trying to, to run it. And that's why you see a lot of these uh, new CEOs, these younger ones that start up their companies, they'll, they'll get in a gray haired guy to help them run it because th- that, that guy's been down that road. And, um, and he can provide really good advice. There's also the option of just getting a consultant. It's like what we do, uh, Aaron, like I'm a consultant for a reason. You're not going to hire me full time to do leadership in your company because that will not make sense. If you create a position and put me in it, I'm probably going to charge you too much to, to, for it to be worth your while, but my skill set can help you. And you can bring me in as a consultant. You can have somebody else that's in that position. And then they have the advantage of having someone like us on their side to help them grow and mature into a, into a position they're, they're, uh, they're going into. And at the lower levels of the company, so lower or mid-level, uh, I guess, entry-level, mid-level positions, I really think that, that looking at the person is far more important than the skill set. You have to have, you know, if you're baking a cake, you, you know, you got to have flour, eggs, and milk, you know what I mean? <laughs> You can't hire somebody who doesn't have those those basic skill sets. But beyond that, it's it's you, the one who's going to make the cake. And that's what we had in Africa. When we were hiring in Africa, look, there was nobody in that country in Mozambique that I could afford at the low pay rates that I was paying because of the mistakes that were made that was a shift supervisor for a power plant with Rolls-Royce engines. <laughs> There just wasn't there no, not the entire country, not one, not one <laughs> single person, not one. So I hired to develop. So what I was looking for was I didn't even I knew that they, they graduate engineers was going to sit down with my expat engineers and they weren't going to get the answers right because I know who gave the classes at the college. He's not, he wasn't a great engineer, but he was the professors the best they could. They didn't pay him like two dollars a day. You know, I mean, you're not going to get a great engineer teaching. So, so I hired based on their, on their raw talent, you know, how good are they? We did some mental exercises to see where they were. We kind of asked them what they wanted to do with their life. And, and we kind of tried to figure out if they'd be willing to stick with us while we were paying them one third of what we should, <laughs> which we eventually fixed that, but it, we, we weren't able to the first year. And, and then we hired based on that. And the results were tremendous because these people were loyal. Um, we had a turnover rate of, of less than, than I think, 5% our first wow. year. And when you're paying people a third of what they could make other in other places, that's tremendous. Um, and and they, they just, they worked their butts off. They were absolutely fantastic. Love them to death. Miss them. They're friends on me on Facebook. We, <laughs> we message still today. You know, it's, well, and uh, that's a testament to so your leadership you. skills, obviously. You know, everybody thinks it's about the money and the perks and, oh, I left because, you know, this company has a breakfast bar and, you know, pool table and whatever. And it's like, no, it's not about that. Cause if you were fulfilled on another level, you know, if you were inspired, um, we didn't talk about this, but you know, sometimes it's as easy as going into your team and going, what are your pain points as an individual? Like, what is the thing that you hate doing in this position? And like having the whole team there and going, you know, I hate filling out this one paperwork or I hate, you know, being responsible for this, a ridiculous thing that, you know, just agitates me every time I have to do it. And somebody else in the group goes, well, that doesn't bother me at all. Great. Now that's part of your scope of work, you know, and then the other person says, I don't like this thing, you know, I mean, it's really that basic. It's like what you want is for your staff to come in, be inspired 
have mastery over what they're doing, know exactly what they're doing and how they're supposed to be doing it and why it even matters and have them doing those things that they love doing. And that's what makes them excited about coming to work. You know, we want to be inspired. Mm -hmm. We want to be challenged. You know, we don't want to sit. I mean, I don't know anybody who wants to sit at a desk all day and twiddle their thumbs. I mean, wouldn't they rather be like engaged and excited about what they're doing and why it matters? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and going to your millennial thing, that's one thing that I think uh, people get confused. They're like, well, millennials don't have any motivation. It's like, look, have you not seen TikTok and <laughs> Snapchat and all that? I mean, they post pictures. You know how hard it is to, to do all that crap to those pictures? <laughs> they are motivated. The thing is that you can't motivate them. <laughs> So you need to figure out how to motivate them because they're obviously motivated to do certain things. They're very motivated to do those things. And they're just not motivated to do the things you want them to do. And it's like, okay, now you have to figure out how, how do I need to be perceived to, to get them to, to do those, to do those things. But yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and humor always works, right? I mean, I don't, like I love to like uh, regularly I'm getting my clients to laugh because we can't laugh at ourselves and our shortcomings, uh, then we are far too serious in this life. We really need to light up. <laughs> and see, that's the, that gets us to a really good conversation actually. Um, and it's one of the fears that I, I had coming back to the United States is I, I sit in some boardrooms that are, are fairly interesting and, and stuff like that, but I'm not a, 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 um, I'm more of a ride on the back of a horse while shooting a gun going yeehaw type of person. (laughs) (laughs) And, and you know, those type of people tend to say things that could get them in trouble. But luckily so far I've been able to be funny enough to where they haven't gotten me into the trouble. But that's one thing that I've been noticing recently uh, through the past couple of years. When I came back to the U S I'm like, man, you know, when I sit into in, in with these executives, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge because we've we've got this like concept or idea that we have to be so fake and and be so careful with our words that we're unable to connect. Mm. And and there's a line there that I think that that as as a business uh, we're crossing and it's hurting us as, as businesses. Because if we can't if we can't have a frank conversation again without without assuming that the intention was evil, like what you said must have been mean because you don't like me or whatever inside of the company, um, you also lose ability to connect to people. And when you're not connecting to people, then you can't motivate people. When you can't motivate people, then your workforce is not engaged. And when your workforce is not engaged, then you become GE, and you have to hire in a bunch of consultants to figure out how to how to motivate your workforce and get them organized again. You know. Yeah, I I just think life is short. If you're not having a good time most of the time, you're missing out. Uh, Just honestly, it's just, I don't care if you're, you know, unless you're, we just get into this whole thing of like, you know, like everything's an emergency and we got to like, you know, run around chasing our tails all day long. Forget about it. Like, when are you, I mean, think about the times when you're working, when you're most productive. It's not when you're stressed out and trying to like make something happen. It's when you're at ease and you're just like, oh, I am in alignment with what I'm doing. It makes sense to me and I have mastery at it. So this feels good. And now I'm in the flow and look at that. Two hours went by and it seemed like it was 10 minutes, right? Like that's where we want to get everybody, including leadership. Like 
unless you are actually doing brain surgery, like it's not an emergency, right? It's just not. Yeah. Um, and, you know, waiting till the last minute and making your perceived emergency everybody else's emergency is not a way to function in business at all. Everybody can feel that, you know, you want to talk woo-woo. It's like energy is everywhere. Yeah. Like how, like you've been around somebody who's super negative. You can feel that before they even say anything. And then when they start talking, you're just like, ew, like that feels disgusting. I need to get away <laughs> from that. Like go away from me and stop talking, right? Like that is yeah, sense. Yeah. So if you are that leader and you are like on fire all the time running around and in a panic, chill out. It's not emergency. Figure out a different way. There is a different way to motivate for you to be inspired, for them to be inspired. And humor is amazing. Like I regularly watch and listen to things that make me laugh because it's super important. I think, you know, this is deathbed yeah. stuff, right? It's like when you are on your deathbed, the last thing you are thinking is, I wish I had amassed more things. I wish I had worked more. No, you're thinking, I wish I had deeper, meaningful relationships with people. I wish I had made more memories. I wish I hadn't said, oh my gosh, we couldn't afford to take that vacation or, you know, uh, blew my kids off because I have um, some work emergency or whatever. Like, we're so available now. It's like, turn the stuff off, back away, work when you are in alignment and in the flow. And then the other times, quit trying to beat your head against the wall. Like, when you get to the end of this life, that's not the things you're going to be thinking about. You're going to be thinking about the wonderful memories you did create and wishing you had created more of those. So those should be a priority too, not just work. You know, your kids are only going to be little for so long. Um, and then family, I mean, family's everything. When you think about your memories, it's not work. I'm not thinking about, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I might be thinking about some of the successes I've had, but I'm certainly not thinking like, wow, I remember I was grinding that thing out, man, that was hard, you know? No, you're going to be like, man, I wish I'd spent more time with my kids. Remember that cool vacation we went camping or went overseas or did whatever, like that's the stuff. And so, you know, reminding yourself that that's the stuff, even if it takes like putting a picture next to your computer so you can go, I'm getting too serious now. I need to lighten up. And, um, remember like this life is not about working and grinding all the time. I'm not saying don't do those things. You know, if you got a deadline, do your thing, but, um, you don't need to be in, in fight or flight all the time. Like that's, you know, that's why people get anxiety disorders and sick and cancer and all those things is because they're so stressed out and heart attacks. I mean, yeah, it's not okay to be like that anymore. We know better. So we need to, when we know better, then we got to act different and do, do better at, at balancing these things out in our lives, you know, and, and this whole idea that like amassing stuff is the thing for happiness is ludicrous because I can tell you, I've been on both sides and it's not about that. Happiness is an internal job. That is your job. That is why we are here is to figure that piece out. And if you're not happy most of the time, that's on you. Something internally needs to change. And if you want to be happy, that is a seeking position. You need to seek out information to figure that out, whether it's a coach or a book or whatever. 
um, because we are meant to be happy. We're meant to be happy all the time. It's not meant to be this rat race thing that we're doing. It's that's not the thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. And and I think so much of, of whether you're happy or not uh, really revolves around your perception of the world and your perception of how close you are to being who you really want to be, the type of person you want to be. Because we all have, I tell people, you, you usually have two types of people that you want to be, the person you want to be and the person who your parents wanted you to be. And so you, you're struggling with those two. And the cl- I just find that the closer you are to the person who you want to be, in other words, you're doing the things that you know that you need to be doing, taking the responsibility that you know that you need to be taking, uh, the the closer you are to being happy most of the time because you're you're at a more peaceful state. And people, they, they act like it's complicated on to how to figure this out. And it's like, look, your body works wonderful. You know, all that stuff you're supposed to be doing that you feel guilty about not doing. Yeah. Start doing those things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, you can hire me to tell you this uh, and I'll, I'll happily charge you for it. But if you, if you want to just do something tomorrow to be a little bit more happy, just think about all those things you feel guilty that you don't do and start doing them and, and do them more often and do them consistently. And suddenly you will start being okay with being you. <laughs> and it, it's, it's silly stuff, right? It's simple and it's almost self-evident. But people get lost in, I don't even know what, in the, in the, the swamp of perceptions yes. and don't know that they could just do this one very simple thing. Well, it's not simple because you have to do well, it. It is simple. But, um, it's just not easy. That's the difference. It's yeah. like, yeah, I can tell you what's going on in your life if you answer a few questions but the easy part is, you know, the other, that's another thing that I work with a lot of times with clients is that, you know, the space between your ears is like <laughs> all kinds of things going on in there that are not serving a future that you want to create, you know, and figuring out what those things are, not to the, you know, not to, you know, be in the analytical chair of like, oh, this happened to me because I had this horrible trauma and whatever. No, not about that. Not that I'm against that. And some people, that's their life work. That's great. I want to figure out what are those things, the obstacles that are standing in the way of me getting to this next place that I want to be. And once you have the awareness, and then I help them create strategies around it, then it's that simple but not easy part, right? So here's the simple version of why you're not having the results you want. Um, the easy part is, is I mean, the hard part is that you have to practice this new way of being, right? You can't, you cannot create this, you can't create different results from the same thinking and action, right? It has, you have to do something different. It's like, you can't, you know, you can't create health by just thinking about it. You, there is some action that needs to happen too. And so, um, yeah. yeah, getting past those pieces and going, okay, here simply I can tell you what the path is to you getting this uh, result that you want. Um, now the difficult part is practicing being a different way, thinking different thoughts, taking different action, um, going outside of your comfort zone. And and that goes for the personal, your personal life and leadership, because a lot of what we talked about here was mindset and and the presuppositions and maps of the world, and and you know, basically understanding how other people see things, so you can see things more clearly. Uh, you know, assuming good things about not good things about other people, assuming what is most likely the case in in other people, which is usually good. 
you know, people are doing the best they can with what they have. They're making the best decision they, they can that best serves them. Their higher, you know, their higher, uh, their higher purpose or their higher, their higher good. Absolutely. What Dr. Phil calls it, their currency. Oh. <laughs> Figure out what their currency is. Currency as in and like electricity or currency as in like money? Currency as in, no, well, not money, money to them, yeah. right? Okay. So what is their higher good? Right. So what, what is that person's higher good? And that's, that's their currency. That's the reasons, that is the reason why they're doing what they're doing. And, and it may be completely wrong and bad for them, but because they're getting their payoff in the currency that they want, they continue to, to uh, live inside of that, that self-destructive behavior. And we have it too, and it may not be self-destructive. It just may be not productive. You know what I mean? There's like different levels of it, but <laughs> you know, that, that guilt thing that you didn't do, that you didn't go around and, and do again and again and again and again. Well, that's, that is a self-destructive behavior that you need to get out of. And you start doing those things because obviously your own body is telling you, Hey dude, <laughs> you didn't, you didn't go do this thing. Look how bad you feel. Look how bad you feel. Your own body's like going, yo, <laughs> and, and you keep ignoring it because there's some payoff out there that, that, that you're getting by, by not doing it. You got to figure out what yeah, that no, is. Yeah, no, there is a payoff. Um, we only do things that we get payoff for. That's it. We don't do things that we don't it. get a payoff for. And sometimes the payoff, as you said, is not in alignment with the outcome that you want. But I mean, I had a client yeah. and he came to me and he was just like, you know, I'm just not one of those people. I just, you know you'll tell me something and I just won't do it. And I was like, he's like, so what should I do? I said, do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what I, you can't have a different outcome with the same stuff. So like, I can't go over there and make you work out, work out if that's what you want. If you don't want it, know you're getting a payoff on some level. Um, and you know, break it down. Like quit trying to make these, you know, it's like, uh, he'd come to me and he said, oh, I'm going to work out, you know, five days a week at an hour, you know, and I was like, and where are you working out now? And he's like, well, I'm not. And I'm like, does that seem reasonable to work out five days a week when <laughs> you're doing absolutely nothing? I said, how about we break it down and like, and get the small win right out of the gate, you know, like maybe work out once this week, twice, three times and not 45 minutes or an hour, but 15, 20, half hour, whatever. Right. And then like, be kind to yourself. Why are you being so mean? <laughs> Why do you make it so hard? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, you know, it's good for you, but you obviously think it's punishment. Now you want to do it five times a week and you don't have the mindset to view it as something fun or a reward. So literally you have a whip and you're beating yourself with it and you don't even know you're doing that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But that's the thing, right? So it's like if, breaking it down for people because it's like, oh, I'm going to go on a diet and like cut out all this stuff. It's like, well, geez, you know, of course that has a high failure rate because that's not how you eat right now. You know, why don't you just work on one thing at a time and act, you know, and enact that, you know, if you're not exercising now, go for a 15 minute walk after dinner or whatever, you know, instead of well, you know, all I'm the big. Oh, hullabaloo of, you know, I got to be at this place now. It's like, what happened to like working up to, you know? Uh, way back in the day, I worked for Jenny Craig and we, we have a, on the sales tour, and it's actually quite good at it. We had a visualization exercise. that was nothing but it's manipulative, manipulative, pretty manipulative, but 
effective and and probably you know it's like manipulation is it evil well it depends on the outcome maybe <laughs> you know this is one of those things where you're like yeah you know it's like hell so what what we did is we sat you down and and we said uh you know close your eyes and this is after the tour and we say you know just um you know you you have a dress or some pants or something that that you want to get into and and a woman always says yes there's always something like there's a wedding dress or whatever it is a flowery sunny dress whatever they got something they want to wear that they can't wear anymore and it's like okay well picture yourself and you know in that dress and do you you know if they have kids you know imagine yourself having more energy playing with your kids and you just see this big old smile on their face and and they start getting into this 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 visualization exercise and then Right at the right there, you go. Okay, now imagine eating more and not fitting into your dress, and, <laughs> and you do the opposite, and they break down and cry a lot of the time. Yeah, manipulative exercise. But then sign up for the program and lose weight. That's not the. That's not. I'm not saying that I condone doing that. I just remember doing that when I was like 18 when I worked for them. But when you're going to a coach, kind of what you get is someone who understands how that exactly works and why it's effective. And a coach can help you walk through these things and understand why it is that you want to do something and for you to start rewiring your brain to where you understand that it is for you understand the payoff and that it is the payoff that you want because it's getting you to where you want to go. You have to get that alignment. And that's what a coach does beyond just telling you to do it because you know you're supposed to do it. And if somebody else tells you to do it, it's helpful, especially if you meet with them on a weekly basis because they'll annoy you. But if you don't change your mindset – yeah, and you pay them. But if you don't change your mindset, what happens is then you dread going to see them and you certainly don't want to pay someone you dread to see. So, so, so then, you know, we don't want that because we lose a client. So we have to be skilled at helping you get through that. So you actually implement the actions. And the same thing goes for leadership and companies when they hire me to be an executive coach. You know, it's I'm going to make you do a lot of really uncomfortable stuff. Um, and things that you maybe deep inside know you need to do, and, but we're going to help you through the mindset of you understanding, truly understanding the payoff of it before you actually see it. So in other words, we ask you to have faith and you go through and you start seeing it, and then you start producing it and then it starts becoming a habit for you. And then you're not even thinking about it and you have, you know, these great leadership skills that you, that you've developed over time. But that's why coaching can be so effective. It's not simply somebody following up with you saying, hey, did you do your homework? Because my goodness, I mean, I, I can write an app for that and give it to you for free. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and that's where when you call someone like Aaron or me, now I'm, I'm not taking any clients at all, period. So uh, I'm, I'm full. But Aaron, um, I don't know if she's open for things. And I know that we're over the we're quite a bit over the hour. So I'll wrap this up, let you get back to your to your weekend. But Aaron, are you are you taking clients? Absolutely. So how is someone if someone goes, hey, look, I want to develop my leadership skills a little bit better or, or maybe I want to I want to lose some weight, whatever. Uh how are they going to get a hold of you to, to get some help? I think the best way is to go to my website. Um, it's www.aaron-mac.com. That's uh, Mac, uh, .com. Um, and they're under services. There's a list of the different things that I do, courses, one-on-one. Um, yeah, I think that's probably the best way. But I'm also on Instagram under Aaron Mac LLC. And, um, same handle on Facebook. So those are some, you know, 
ways that you can uh, follow me or, um, you know, I, I share a ton of free content. Um, um, but yeah, I think you get obviously the maximum benefit when you are committed, you recognize there's an issue and then you put money behind it. <laughs> that's where, uh, that's where we really get. Cause we're all real attached to the money piece. So it's like, once you start paying for it, then you kind of get on fire about, you know, whether I'm going to, you know, am I going to do the same thing I did before or am I going to actually, you know, listen and be open to some new information and create some different results? Awesome. Well, Aaron, look, I, I want to let you get back to, to your weekend and, and I really appreciate you, you doing this with me. It, it I, I enjoyed it. Um, I kind of, kind of want to, you know, I've got it. I'm only doing this like once a week, but later on I, I did, I definitely want to do it again. Great. I'd love to. <laughs> yeah. Anytime. But, 